You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. Monday edition, we are back. Dan Dockett joins us in 20 minutes. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hunt. Made it through another weekend. Excited to be here with you. No doubt. Huge show today. As I like to say, though, they're all big. Yeah, so the Jets... No days off. I've fallen in love with Derek Carr, apparently, over the weekend. We'll get to that later. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. A breakup is coming, according to a report. Plenty to discuss there. Marcellus Wiley speaks the truth, but not the right narrative. So he's getting heat for a transgender comment in sports. There's there's a lot of uh, things to discuss. But look, the the storyline of the weekend, it wasn't the NBA All-Star Game. It wasn't the Daytona 500. Believe it or not, it was the Genesis Invitational. And not because John Rahm won, and it was actually very competitive, and it was compelling TV if you were watching this over the weekend. It was Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, who was 16 shots off the lead yesterday, is getting camera time on CBS, and it's because he was relevant, uh, both on and off the course, and it involved his solid play on Saturday. Chad, I thought of you, uh, because... You, you often think of me, though. I do, so I that's, do. That's that, nothing that, new that's on fair. the weekend. Uh, yeah. but, but specifically, because of the four-under on Saturday, where no laying up... If you don't follow him on Twitter, I, I suggest it. They, they had a stat where... Uh, on, on Saturday's round, 19 of the 20 players in the world were in the field this week at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera. Five of them were ahead of Tiger uh, on the scorecard by Saturday. But on Saturday, none of them beat his score at Riviera. 47 years old, limping around the course, said post-round uh, post on, on Sunday that he's only going to play the majors because physically he's just not going to be able to hold up. But it was fun to see Tiger relevant again. Um, and from a sports perspective, I paid attention to the Genesis Invitational, not because golf was back and it was the best thing going this weekend. It's because Tiger was on the screen. So have you started Full Swing yet on Netflix? I, I have. I was interrupted. I'm about, I'm about 30 minutes into episode one. Okay, I am now into episode six. I think almost done with okay. episode six. Um, my favorite episode, by the way, is the Joel Damon episode. It was just about the obscure 70th ranked player in the world that really just doesn't care if he wins or not. And uh, just a really <laughs> likable dude. You know, everyone on tour loves him, but it's, it's really funny, really good. But there was a story in the latest episode I'm watching. Tony Finau is a big focus on it. And Tony Finau is known across the tour as one of the all-time great guys on tour. He's got five kids. He lives in Utah. His entire family travels with him. But the thing about Tony Finau is he never wins on tour. And the big question is, he's so talented, why does he never win on tour? And Tony Finau tells a story about 2019 Masters final round, a round I was at in Augusta, thankfully, one of the all-time sports moments of my life. He was in the group along with uh, Molinari, and Tiger Woods 
on the Sunday of the Masters that Tiger won in miraculous fashion in 2019. Tony Finau told a story about Tiger Woods where they teed off and they're walking down the first fairway and Tony's trying to start a conversation with him, ask him how his kids are. And he said Tiger just abruptly said fine and kind of sped up his walk to get away from him. And he said that's not realized. Oh, you know, he's laughing. Like, this guy really don't want to do too, much, do too much small talk today. He's in the zone and doesn't want to speak to anyone. And then I hear that story and I think, right or wrong, Tiger Woods is an all-time great talent. And he has practiced a lot to get where he is. But the difference between Tiger Woods and Tony Finau is Tony Finau is trying to talk about their families, the final round of the Masters, and Tiger Woods is having none of it. And he goes on to capture a miraculous Masters win on that Sunday. And then I'm watching Tiger over the weekend. I see him stick one, I think, on the 16th at one point, right next to the cup. And I'm watching his great play on, on, on Saturday. Excuse me. Sunday was a bit worse of a round. But I watch that and I think, there is no one else other than Tiger Woods who could come back from the first issue that happened with him and then the car accident and play anything close to as good as this. Not because he's talented, but because mentally he's Tiger Woods. And that's it. And that's why we watch. He is so different from the rest of us. Tony Finau, great guy. Deep down, a better family man and a better human than Tiger Woods, right? But we all can't take our eyes off of Tiger Woods because they are so singularly focused on the task at hand. And that task at hand is greatness. And I'm watching the guy limp around the course this weekend and thinking, I will never stop watching this guy. If he's doing anything in golf, I cannot take my eyes off of him because of that singular focus. At what point does it become tiresome that he's one under? The leader is John Rahm at 17 under. And... CBS is showing. I, I didn't get tired of it. I, I don't want to see him limp around and struggle and have to, you know, bail and withdraw from a tournament moving forward. But I mean, I, I think the 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 part that the attraction to it is you're looking for that one more moment. You know that that just give me one more moment at the yeah. at a major. And the Genesis Invitational for what it was. Even John Rom said on on Thursday, post round Thursday, it felt like it had a major tournament buzz to it competition to it and that's what uh, is attracting me to the the big tournaments i'm i'm going to flip on there more than i am the daytona 500 right now and for sure the nba all-star coverage um and it's because tiger was back otherwise it's just not relevant enough to capture my attention more than watching a replay or tuning in for the final three holes of the average tournament on a sunday afternoon i thought you were going to tell me chad that um, he walked by Tony Finau at the Masters and handed him a tampon. No, no, he didn't do that. There were, there were no, uh, no tampon jokes in, so far in this documentary. Now, I'll say this for the documentary. Uh, there's no Tiger Woods outside of Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods has not participated in one bit of it so far. Six episodes in. He has never mic'd up. He's never interviewed on it. And I think that's smart. Why? Because this is a show that's going to bring interest to other players on sure. tour. And the specter of Tiger Woods, and if he's in the background of a shot, and they're on the, the, the practice you know, greens mm-hmm. before, and Tiger Woods is there, everyone's talking about Tiger Woods. If you're Rory McIlroy, you know, if you're Ian Poulter, if you're Dustin Johnson, who's all been featured on that, they're talking about Tiger Woods constantly. Until he's done playing, the specter of Tiger Woods will never leave the tour. And I think the, the producers of this docuseries understood that, 
and they're bringing to light some other stories across the PJ Tour. I watch, I watch golf regardless, but I am watching this and thinking, man, I am going to be more into Colin Morikawa or Joel Damon or exactly some of these other needed. players and going behind the scenes of the decision to leave for live. You know, I mean, Dustin Johnson, I don't want to give too much away, but he's on there, you know, saying what everyone knows. He's like, look, if you got this much money, money to 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 work this much less, he's like, I get to be with my family and do what I want this much more time in the week, and I'm making this much more money based off what I've already made. How many people would actually say no to that and whatever your job is? I'm getting paid a lot more to work a lot less, and that's why I did it. Uh, it's really, really interesting and really brings to light some other players. But watching over the weekend, going back to what you're saying, Tiger Woods is what matters. That's what matters. It wasn't John Rahm's win. It wasn't Max Homa battling him for the win. It wasn't Max Homa in tears after the round. It's Tiger Woods. That's what matters still. On and off the course, because even if you didn't watch, you know the headline about uh, Tiger. He outdrove... Justin Thomas, who's 29 years old, 47-year-old Tiger Woods, um, in the early round uh, tee box, 16, I believe, outdrives uh, Tiger Woods. Uh, Tiger Woods outdrives Justin Thomas and slips him uh, uh, tampax, tampon. And post-round, he felt the need to issue at least some sort of apology with JT from that yesterday is kind of going viral. Can you kind of just explain your thoughts behind it? Yeah, it was supposed to be, you know, a funny game, but obviously it's, it hasn't turned out that way. And if I had offended anybody, it was not the case. It was just uh, friends having, having fun. And, uh, as I said, if, if I offended anybody in any way, shape, or form, I'm sorry. Uh, it was not intended to be that way. Uh, it's just, you know, we, we play pranks on one another all the time. And uh, virally, I, I think this did not come across that way. But between us, it was, it was different. That was all being discussed over the weekend, too, on social. Our, our buddy Keith Bullock, you know, was discussing it with uh, uh, people on, on Twitter. Saying he's like, hey, if, if my daughters, all of them understood this, I think if they saw this, they would have laughed about it, you know, because of the competition aspect and the prank aspect about it. The, the woman asking the question was laughing. Yeah. As she asked the question. I, I just, it's, it's unfortunate that a Christine Brennan writes this column. Yeah. And then it becomes like there's a lot of people who feel like Christine Brennan. I still think the vast, vast, vast majority of people understand it's a joke and even if you didn't find it that funny they're not offended by it and they're not taking it out to well now women can't participate in golf because of this because they're being disrespected i just think there's so few people who actually feel that way and christine brennan is writing a column to so few people that will agree with her the vast 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 majority of people who read that column will disagree with almost everything she said so don't apologize just if you're tiger woods there's no need to come back and understand that most Almost everyone, except for the uber-offended super minority, will care at all about that. So just say, look, it was now, a joke. It was intended to be a joke. Justin took it as a joke. If you don't take it as a joke, well, then I can't help you. Yeah, and That would have been my that's response also to that. like that, The immediacy of the presser post-round is when he's being asked that question. Yeah. This isn't like the morning after that where he's having to come out to issue an apology uh that's you know some statement that he wants to say he didn't go that far and he won't and he shouldn't 
Uh, Michael Johnson, the uh, gold medalist at MJ Gold on Twitter, um, he, he wants a, a further apology from Tiger. Apology starting with, if I offended anyone, is no apology. And I'll, I'll chime in here. That's exactly what I was saying on Friday, which yeah. is he's not apologizing. Uh, if you're offended, sorry, but it was funny. The picking back up on what Johnson's saying on the tweet. But this is Tiger. Never been a leader, and he's Teflon. He's still heralded after all the mistakes, so he's learned nothing. Media focus always on miraculous recovery. Never why the need for recovery. Uh, that from Michael Johnson, again, Olympic gold medalist. Um, way too far here. Way too far. I, I'm shocked that a man uh, who once donned gold Nike shoes in the 96 Olympics before he went well, out and won gold and is the this individual soft sport of it too uh, aspect which he can relate to at I mean think about Michael Johnson outrunning someone at his age versus what Tiger's out driving with Justin Thomas a friend of his yeah I mean a different, different sports obviously but still like I again Michael Johnson is one of the all-time great Olympians yeah and was bold enough to wear gold shoes before he went out and won gold. And now he's tweeting upset about this joke from Tiger Woods. Come on, man. Come on. Ridiculous. No, the, the ability to separate the athletic accomplishment from on and off the course, the court, uh, the field. I mean, it, for whatever reason, we've got to a point where some people just can't separate the two. And it's going, I mean, you do it everywhere. And it's not just sports. It's in every walk of life. You're allowed to be able to move on and do different things and still accomplish goals in your life and not be uh, pointed at and discussed on that one specific aspect of what's happening. But if you bring up Tiger Woods at a bar where we're sitting, chances are one of the two things is going to come up, his accident, his car accident, or the time that you know his wife took a club to him. Yes. I mean, that's, that's part of the conversation that follows him. It's not like because he, if I offended anyone, he gets away with everything. Well, and re regardless of uh, the mistakes he made that put him in that spot, he still overcame a lot. Yes. So you can look at it however you want. Yeah, everybody acknowledges, you know, it's not someone else's fault. The first part of it was his fault, but he still had to overcome a lot to get back to where he was. Now he's had to overcome even more after the car accident. We, we need to do a better job of compartmentalizing these things in life and still being astonished by the achievement of what he's done and what he's overcome. While also, if you're Michael Johnson, you can harp on the mistakes he's made all you want and focus on that. It doesn't change the fact he still overcame a lot, even if it was based on his own decisions. It's just, it's just funny that the handing a tampon to, <laughs> to Justin Thomas has elicited this reaction that the apology isn't good enough uh, from gold medalist Michael Johnson. Chad, I don't know how uh, you watched the NBA All-Star game. I'll or, tell you. Or, or, I'll tell you or how, clips of it. I'll tell you how I watched it, Hudden. I, let me set mine up. All I saw was the introduction. They go to commercial break. They come back. They're warming up. They go to commercial break, come back. They just won't tip the game off. And so I didn't see any of actual gameplay. Well, I'm, I'll go right into how I watched. Uh, I didn't. Oh, good. I didn't watch it. I saw one highlight. I saw Damian Lillard pull up from half court and bury a half quarter in the middle of the game, just at the start of the shot clock. No need to do it. Just open, just pulled up from half court and hit it, which was pretty cool, but... 
pretty much indicative of where we are right now in the That's NBA the game. All-Star game. Here is my big takeaway from it, though. Uh, it was terrible. Everyone that was a part of it was terrible. We're going to talk about one of the coaches soon that was a part of it who, who acknowledges it was awful. The NBA is really leaning into everything that someone would say negative about the league time and time again. On Friday, it was that we have to avoid a last pick scenario with an NBA All-Star, that they're going to be the last All-Star take, and that's going to lead to problems for them because it's unfair that there has to be a last pick. Soft. All right, that's a knock on the NBA. Soft. They're leaning right into it. Load management is an issue we're also going to discuss. Load management in the league. Don't care about their fans. If you show up to a game, your hard-earned money, your favorite player is not playing or – the player on the other team that you wanted to watch isn't playing. That's a you problem because these guys need to, to manage their load throughout the season and make sure they're good to go for the playoffs, some of which won't even make the playoffs and it doesn't even matter. So that's another issue. Selfish. Um, star-driven and not team-oriented. The name of the damn teams in the All-Star game are Team LeBron and Team Giannis. You really want to lean into that we don't care about team in the NBA mantra and name the team after one of the players, the captain of each team, is so ludicrous. I thought when they tried to change this up, and they had the draft, and they went away from the conferences in East and West and everything, I'm thinking, well, at least they're trying to do something different. But now that we're some years into this experiment with it, maybe I'm an old white guy when I say this, and I'm a get-off-your-porch type of guy. They should just go back to being East versus West. It's very simple to understand. There's an Eastern Conference that plays the Western Conference champion in the NBA Finals. Why not just go East versus West? Let's get some rivalries going with the two conferences again. Don't worry about the draft. Have the Eastern Conference All-Stars versus the Western Conference All-Stars. I don't know how you change a generation of players' minds and attitudes to believe they should play hard in an All-Star game. They're probably not going to do it. Years ago, they didn't really do it either, but it was at least a little bit more competitive, especially late in games. But what, again, all I saw was the one clip, but what whatever, whoever you are that watched the NBA All-Star game, there's probably very few of you that did, but whoever watched it, whatever you saw in that game is simply not good enough. And it's time to go away from this ego-driven Team LeBron versus Team Giannis versus we can't offend a guy by being the last pick in the All-Star draft. Come on, give me a break. Well, and I mean... We've reached the era, and we've been in the era, where the players own the league. They run the league. And so that's why it's Team LeBron and Team Giannis, and you can't be a last pick, even though practically anyone listening or watching right now has been a last pick at some point uh, in, in some type of athletic performance. Uh, uh, Chad, T-ball. Someone's the last pick in T-ball. You have a draft yeah. in coach pitch. Right. Someone's the last pick. You don't pick your reserves first. Now, uh, to be fair, we don't do it in front of the kindergartners. <laughs> you know, we're in a room at the softball complex. We're yeah. doing it. We're not supposed to go and, you know, tell and the little... They're also not NBA players. To tell the little girl, you know, you're the last pick. Of course. Yeah. Also, you're not... This isn't the last pick in the NBA draft or the last pick of all the available players. In the oh, there will be You're one. an all-star. There will be a last pick in the NBA but draft. But can you imagine and someone coming up to you anymore. and asking you about it and you saying... Yeah, I'm really offended. I was the last pick of the NBA All-Stars. I'd be the first to raise my hand and say, I'm a damn All-Star. I don't care. These guys didn't want me. I'll, I guess I'll have to show them in the last 25 games of the regular season somehow. It's, it's so incredibly soft. 
Uh, Amar on our YouTube chat says, you guys just hate LeBron and the whole NBA, period. So why talk about the NBA if you hate it? Doesn't make any sense to me to talk about football. That's what you guys like. I do love football. Uh, I also love basketball. I loved the NBA. I, I agree. I'm not coming from a place of I want to hate the NBA forever. Give me a reason to love it again. I loved the NBA for years. I can go back to those Phoenix Suns teams in the mid-aughts that I loved watching, that were fun, that scored a ton of points. The Golden State Warriors when they started out. Yes. HUD and I were hosting watch parties for the Warriors early on in the playoffs in 2013, 2014, around that era. The NBA I want pencils. to watch this again. I want to buy NBA pencils I'm not again. just coming in here to talk about the NBA every day because I hate basketball, or I hate the current NBA, and I want yeah. it to change. I want it to get back to where we once were. There's great talent everywhere. Basketball has never been more global. It's never been more talented. Physical talent, skill talent, everything is great. Let's make the league reflective of that and get away from this soft mental nature that we've all been grown accustomed to. What's the, what's the guy's name in the chat? Uh, his we, name is uh, Amar. Oh, Amar. Should we go to break with the slow-mo of what TNT had in the pregame warm-ups of LeBron slow motion putting the crown on his head? Did you see that? Oh, no. Yeah. I hope someone on the TNT crew namely Charles or Shaq, made fun of that when it happened. No, they didn't. No, they, they've turned the All-Star game into the ESPYs, which is unwatchable. Coming up, Dan Dockage can weigh in, and we can dive into load management in the league, which is also a huge problem that doesn't have anything to do with uh, the, the player and individual, but more the outlook of how they're treating fans on a nightly basis with the best players and the best stars. Uh, all of that and more straight ahead with Dan Dockage. He's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Coming up, a discussion on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and Bob McGinn, longtime reporter of the Green Bay Packers, saying that Packers are done with him. Meanwhile, the Jets, are they about to buy in with Derek Carr? We'll discuss all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Across the Outkick Network, live at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Joined by Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me. You can hear him mornings right here on the Outkick Network. Dan, um, put your phone away. Stop apologizing on Twitter, um, and uh, you know for all the things you said this morning. He's he's drafting all the apology yeah. tweets that he's got to send out today. What's up, man? Good to see you. Never apologize. <laughs> Never. In fact, uh, my wife said, "Hey, what do you need from the store?" And I said, can you buy me a box of tampons because the weather's getting nice, it's golf season, and I'm going to play with my son. And I guarantee you if my 60-year-old self or when my 60-year-old self outdrives him, he and, and my nephew are going to get some tampons. So <laughs> never apologize to these phony-ass people. No doubt. Uh, look, I'm not apologizing either for – neither is Chad for not watching the NBA All-Star game. There was a day in time, even as, uh, you know – past my adolescence, where I enjoyed the spectacle of all the players on the same court and, you know, the skills competition and the dunk contest. When's the last time you tuned into that? 
I got to tell you, um, I can't even remember. I mean, the dunk contest used to be awesome because the superstars wanted to grow the game, and you had Dominique against Michael. You know, and now, you know, LeBron's too cool. He's putting a king hat on like he's, you know, something. And some guy named Matt McClung, who I remember, Matt, he, Mac, he played at Georgetown a little bit. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's sad. Uh, the Pro Bowl, same thing. There's no pride. Money uh, has polluted it. And I do blame the players. A lot of people say I don't blame the players. Well, good for you. Well, I do blame the players. I think the players are uh, selfish, entitled, ridiculous, uncompetitive. I think the AAU, uh, the AAU culture is so much in the NBA. And I think Adam Silver is the absolute worst commissioner. He's the most popular because all the little woke guys and gals talk about how great he is. But players don't want to play. They're overpaid. Hell, they can't even play 82 games out of the year without whining about it. The star players complain about everything. Guy gets a little tweak. He lays down on the court for 30 minutes. It's ridiculous. But again, hey, look, I totally understand who I am. I'm an old white guy, so I don't matter. I'm just telling you my opinion on it, which is Adam Silver is the absolute worst commissioner and the worst thing ever to happen to the NBA fan. Great thing for NBA players because they trample him, but bad thing for the NBA fan, Adam Silver. And now he wants to take the games overseas. Uh, the worst thing is having a woke commissioner, and he's the wokest of the woke. He's awful. So, Dan, I, I'm watching the, and I agree with pretty much everything you're saying there about the NBA, but I, I watch so much college basketball, and I know there are programs where this soft culture of AAU, the AAU culture you talked about has taken over the program. But for the most part, I watch college basketball games and I think these guys are getting after each other. These teams are getting after it. They're playing for each other. They're playing hard. There's a competitive spirit to it. And that has remained even though the AAU culture you talked about has completely infected the NBA. Is the biggest difference well, that coaches have power in college as opposed to the NBA? How does that happen where it kind of skips college? I think not completely, but in large part. Yeah, not completely. I, you know, I want to make that clear. The other day we had an idiotic brawl uh, between two teams, and that's the AAU culture. We had a player at Eastern Illinois walk over and slap a fan in the front row. We've got players on a daily basis. The AAU culture is massive in college basketball. There's, it, it just is, trust me. But one thing that I would say is exactly what you just said. One, the coaches have control. Two, the universities in a lot of ways have control. I've always said this about college basketball. People have always told me, you know, players are the product. I say, really? Okay. Well, I, nobody, and I mean nobody, bought a Tyler Hansbro uh, Fort Wayne Mad Ants jersey. Everybody at North Carolina bought a Tyler Hansbro, Tyler Hansbro, North Carolina. Why? Because the name on the front still has meaning. Now, we are slowly morphing into it. But when you look at when you look at the NBA, how about John Morant's idiot father? I mean, how about this guy? This guy wears shades inside. By all accounts, everybody that knew John Morant when he was at Murray State, unbelievable family. So now John Morant's clown father is arguing with people on the sidelines. He's standing up making a spectacle uh, of himself. And John Morant's brother has been banned from the facility in Memphis because they acted like thugs. And they are anything but thugs. They're the nicest people in the world. So the culture infects. And we're just, I think, now getting started. Again, 
I get it. I'm the old white guy. Don't listen to me. But in about a year, this is what always happens with me. In about a year, maybe two, people go, you know what? Dockage was absolutely right. I see it coming. However, last thing, kudos to the University of Michigan. The University of Michigan basketball team has always represented, in my opinion, other than a stretch with John Beeline, the worst of the worst. The idiots of the Fab Five were ridiculous. They were cheating. It was asinine. Uh, And now Juwan Howard with his slapping and the foolishness of Juwan Howard. But in between it all, John Beeline was a beacon. Now, I was glad to see Michigan get back. The thing that they did, the band playing the alma mater for Michigan State, the moment of silence, turning the the, uh, gymnasium green for Michigan State in honor of the fallen kids and the idiotic shooter that went through Uh, Michigan State. They honored the students, and I thought that was terrific. So it was nice to see. I go to Indiana game, and the the dumbass crowd at Indiana can't be any more clever than saying, F the other school. Like, what is that? You got to be a little, anybody, I went to the Ohio State game, F Ohio, really? Like, you know, they cheapened my degree. You got to be clever with your insults, people. Uh, so the AAU culture, alive and well, only growing in college basketball. That's why you got to give it up to the Dukies. They're always clever. They don't just go to the lowest common denominator. They're clever! Some of their jokes may go right. over everyone's head, but they'll get clever with their trash talk, no right. doubt. Uh, North Carolina has no reason to talk trash right now, Dan. If they don't make the tournament, and they are squarely on the outside looking in right now, they will become the first program since the field expanded to 64 in 1985 to be a preseason number one in the country and not make the NCAA tournament, we may be witnessing the most disappointing season in college basketball history based on expectation. What do you make of what's happened in year two under Hubert Davis? Well, I saw you tweet that. and I, 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 1985, my senior year, we were a top 10 team. We had a bunch of crap go on. Knight didn't want to coach. It was ridiculous. We didn't make the NCAA tournament. Lost to Reggie Miller in the NIT final. Reggie unloaded on me in the second half, but I digress. <laughs> so when I saw when I saw that tweet, I'm like, oh man, oh that we're close. We were close in '85, the first year. Look, I think North Carolina has a number of problems. I I, I don't think anybody you know, overrated them. I mean, hell, they got everybody back from a team that was up in the national championship game. They're soft as hell. I mean, I watch them. The way they got going last year was they started making hard shots, fellas. They did. I'd be like, wow. And it carried them, and then it ended in the second half against Kansas. But you can't rely on that. And I have been told by numerous people that there is so much stupidity within the program relative to jealousy and NIL money and stuff like that, that it is ridiculous and it has cost. And, you know, Hubert's a nice guy. Uh, Carolina's, uh, you can make the argument, the most talented program in the history of college basketball. But I, I, I swear to you, when I was watching them last year, I'm like, man, they just keep taking bad shots and making them. And then they had a kid, Brady Manick, that would kind of settle them down. They got no toughness. North Carolina's never been, at least to an Indiana guy, the toughest operation. We've always thought them to be very soft, very talented, but very soft. I think they're uber soft. Like Baycott to me, I don't know. I, 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 he gets numbers. But every big guy in the country is going to get numbers if you play enough. I, they're just soft and take bad shots, and that's a bad combination. Dan Dockage with us on Outkick 360. Which team or teams do you trust 
wholeheartedly right now as tournament time is, is near? I'm going to give you two, and I'm going to be called a homer for one. Uh, one is Alabama. Look, Alabama got beat by Tennessee, right? And, you know, people – I think it was Tennessee. Yep. yep. And, you know, people started doubting. And what they do? They turned around, and they won by 49. Like, look, 49, South Carolina is not great. But 49, man, that tells me that team has some real insights to it. And I'll tell you the other one, and I've, I've been up and down on them all year, but I'm way up on them now is my Hoosiers. You know what they do? They don't make mistakes at the end of games. I'm watching them play Illinois, and they're not playing great, and Illinois is playing the brakes off them. All of a sudden, Illinois' player dunks on Jackson Davis, bad call, gets a technical, should never have gotten a technical, but he put himself in a bad position and it kind of got Indiana going, and then the last six, seven possessions, Indiana just doesn't make mistakes at the end of games. Like, I don't – I'm not saying they're better than Houston. Uh, Houston is athletic, uber-athletic, but I don't trust Calvin Sampson. I don't trust his team. I feel like somebody on that team will do something really stupid. Purdue, I think, is good, but I think they can be pressured. Purdue's one of those teams that if you pick them up, and that's your game, is to pick them up full court – I think they can be pressured. I'm looking, though, uh, I think Alabama, man, I, I don't know. I've not seen enough of UCLA. Um, I was talking to a couple of their guys, and they think they're very good. Jaime Jaquez is a legit player of the year candidate. He won't be it, but he's been there 12 years. But I got to tell you, Alabama, to me, they when they did what they did the other day, I was like, that team has some real pride, some real insides in them. I agree with you on Alabama. I also think Houston, uh, a great year for a Houston type to win the national championship yeah. would be this year. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about a quote, Dan, and get your personal experience on this. Uh, you mentioned Tennessee beating Alabama. They turn around. They play terrible. They're down 20 at halftime against Kentucky. They try to make it a game in the second half but didn't have enough to come back. Uh, Rod Clark, who's an assistant on Tennessee, was asked this question about where he thinks the players are mentally after losing – three of the last four games. He says, the thing is with our guys, it's a blessing and a curse, but they're not the best losers. I'm an awful loser. I'll be the first to admit that. We're not great losers. They're not handling it the best way. They're really mad. They're really frustrated when we lose because they know how hard we work. They know the time we put in, and they know how much of a family we are, and we all expect to win. Have you been around teams or guys that can't bounce back from losing and then it affects the next game simply because they're not the best losers and not great at moving on when they lose a game? Yeah, you know, what I heard, was that guy's name Rod Clark? What Rod? I just heard out of Rod Clark, huh? Rod Clark, yep. Yeah, what I heard out of him is what I used to tell my kids when my ex-wife would talk. I'd say, what do you hear when you hear mommy talk? Blah, 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 blah. That's all that was. That was just blah. Everybody works hard. Look, here's the deal. Whenever a guy starts telling you, I don't know who Rod Clark is. I'm sure in his mind he was a great player somewhere. I'm sure he was terrific. I'm sure he's even better now. I'm sure he should be in the league. Blah, 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 blah. But whenever anybody tells you what a bad loser they are, they're full of crap. Now, uh, we're a family. We don't handle lo- blah, 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 blah. Coaches have to kiss the backsides of players. There are two different kind of ways to go about it. One, 
There are coaches that basically, and Calvin Sampson was great at this when I worked with him for a year. Calvin Sampson would pin it on the players, tell them this is what you got to do uh, to get better. Bob Knight and myself, we were the worst. We would be yelling, screaming, everybody's to blame. Assistants would be fired. Players would lose scholarships on a simple loss. So it just depends. Like, look, Rick Barnes has been there a long time. He doesn't need Rod Clark uh, taking up for anybody. He doesn't need Rod Clark to explain it. If Look, if you are a good loser, then fine. If you are a bad loser, then fine. But the fact of the matter is you lost. You got two choices. You bounce back or you don't. And whatever excuse is made, bounce back, oh, we're a family, okay. And that hard work thing is crap. I think it was Jim Velvano or maybe somebody else that said, look, working hard doesn't guarantee you anything. Everybody's going to work hard, but not working hard guarantees you failure. Saw that crap out of some assistant. Look, bottom line, you're getting your brains beat out. What are you going to do about it? If you're a good – look, here's the deal with players. Swear to God, I learned this. Players will be, quote, bad losers when they're around coaches. And the minute they get back to the dorm and sweet Susie is talking to them, they could care less about whether they won or they lost until the next time they had to be in the gym. Coaches sweat every single second. So, look, bottom line, play better, quit evaluating who's a good loser, who's a bad loser, and just get your team right. Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me Mornings, 9 a.m. Easterns when it kicks off, tips off this time of year uh, on the Outkick Network. Dan, always appreciate it, man. You guys are awesome. Thanks for the time today, Chad. Avoid arrest. Uh, always. <laughs> it's always good to avoid arrest. That's a daily right. Yeah, that's it. Every day we wake up, we think, let's avoid a rest today. That's, that's, always, right. that's, that's a good yeah, mantra. So far, it. so good today, Dan. Thank you, fellas. All right. See you soon. Dan Dockich, uh, again, check out Don't At Me. Uh, and if you missed portions of today's show, you can go to outkick.com for more. Uh, speaking of uh, the site, there's a story this morning. Um, a lawyer was able to burn through millions, and part of the scam involved some NFL quarterbacks. Not that they were involved in the money, but the, the ploy that she was setting up. Crazy. And how she blew through the money is also fun to think about. That's next on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Outkick 360 rolls on. Uh, My cousin and his friend, Chad, you met Heath and Milton. They're here at 6th and Peabody, both lawyers. Heath and, and Milton, by the way, sounds like a great uh, comic book uh, Heath duo. And Milton. Like Milton and Heath, Heath and Milton, when you say them together like that. Great I introduced, dudes. I introduced him to someone this weekend who shall remain nameless that thought I said his name was Heek. H-E-E-K. Like Reek from right. Game of Thrones. Um, but I went out and uh, during the break and I said, look, there's a, a story about this lawyer that has burned through like $10 million by scamming banks to get loans, 97 different loans with the intent that it was going to do a third party. But what she did, her name is Sarah King, the story's at Outkick, uh, David Hooks did with the story. 
um, she would take photos to appear like she was a high roller with you know athletes, artists, whatever it might be. And there's a photo of her with Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen at the match in Las Vegas from last year. And so that's where she would, you know, show produce all this. So it appears like she's balling. And in fact, she she is because she's getting all these loans and then spending it on, you know, resorts at the win in Vegas and much, much more. I mean, if you're gonna do that, you might as well go big. Sarah King did that. Ten point two million dollars? Yes. Um blowing through it. It's gone. It's uh it reminds me of uh when uh, when Harry and Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber had all the money in the briefcase and then they just provided the IOUs. Yes. Remember they tried to hand, he's like, here's all the money. And uh, I love when he says, that's 100K. You might want to hold on to that one. I feel like Sarah had to tell that to someone. Like, no, I'm good for all of it. All this 10.2. Here's a $20,000 IOU. You're going to want to <laughs> hold on to that one and I'll get it back to you. That's an impressive feat And she's completely broke other than scamming and blowing through the 10.2. And now she's being sued, of course. We live in such a world now where you can... This is, this is like the great Gatsby of times where you can create something on social media and get away with so much. You can fake people into believing you are whoever you want to present yourself to be mm-hmm. on social media now more than ever. There are... I feel like every time I go to Netflix... There's a new rip from the headlines movie or story about someone who scammed people into them believing that there's someone that they're not and made a ton of money off of it and probably ended up in jail. Well, she, she's accused of taking 97 loans in a span of January of October of last year. Not like over a five-year period, which I don't even think I, I could pull off... I don't know how to you take out more than two or three loans if I wanted to go about trying to do that. Uh, Chad, if you want to, you know, put your, you know, refinance and put a mortgage on the house, second mortgage. Like I, I don't know how to take out ninety-seven loans and get do away. Do banks with it. not talk to each other? Unless you, I, I mean, mean, you do all this in the same day, I can understand you get away with it. But I feel like once you apply for a loan, there's a big flag, that, red flag that goes up on the internet. And that all banks are alerted to you taking out a lot of money. And it was all supposed to go Because you have to provide a lot of information to someone in order to get said loan. uh, So how in the world are you taking out that many loans without anyone saying, hey, this might be a problem? That's the bank's fault. That's a banker's error. This is like Monopoly, Uh, right? Banker's error in your favor. You just show a photo. And you just collect the money. Right. Here I am. Oh, here I am with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. That's your collateral that you put down? (laughs) You know, no, I don't have a car or a home to put down or any rental properties, but did you see me with Tom Brady last year, last spring? Here's that photo, so I'm good for it. People are dumb. People are real, real dumb. Chad, uh, another example of that. We did not, I, I didn't know what to expect on Friday night for Adam Sandler here in Nashville. We had a chance to see him, and I thought it was great. Clay agrees with us on this, but your assessment of Adam Sandler and the hour and a half plus show that took place in front of a sold out audience at an arena. It was a big part of my adolescence that was on stage, first and foremost, from his uh, They're All Gonna Laugh at You album to his time on SNL to all the silly comedies from Billy Madison to Happy Gilmore to The Wedding Singer to everything else. He's a big part of uh, my comedic life. But I, I, like you, had no clue what to expect from an Adam Sandler concert. I'm thinking, what? 
How are they going to divvy up stand up versus songs versus special opening act versus yeah yeah Kevin James was a, was a special it, guest for this. Is it a typical show? I didn't know a typical show where he's going to play stuff from the old album and then tie it in. I didn't know there was nothing from nothing, the old album. Nothing old. It was all new. He had new songs that were hilarious. Uh, they had different bits. Um, I'm not going to give too much of it away for those that might go see. There's 20 shows he's playing. And I think pretty much all of them are sold out or close to it. And they're it. filming for Netflix. It was packed in Nashville on Friday night. And uh, you had you know, announcements everywhere. Do not put f- photography up because no video. this is filming for a Netflix special. I don't know if they're going to do one of those things where they splice together like his old the one. best of different shows or if it's going to be one full show like from Nashville on Friday. But I was very entertained. Yeah, we were there with Clay, and he, he absolutely loved it. There were a few things that had me just – crying with laughter um but it's sandler being sandler i mean the dude is a is a perpetual teenager and that's what's funny about it what's funny to him is very consistent he has a very it's tied through sense of humor through all of his movies and everything he creates and either you get it or you don't and if you get it you're all in and that stand-up special or the concert we saw friday night was consistent with that if you like adam sandler you'll love this it's an escape Right, yeah, and you're. It's no different than and he's 57 now. How old was he when he started in SNL? 20, 21, 20. Very like young. Um, you know, it, he's not having to make fun of him. It's not like Louis C.K. back on tour having to make fun of himself for what happened, or Chris Rock having to now. He's got a whole stand up on Will Smith. Um, it's Sandler being exactly who he is and just repurposing the same ideas and still making it relevant to today. Now, also, disclaimer, this is not a Nate Bargatze act. This is not family-friendly. Keep uh, that in mind when no. you go to it. It's very, very blue. But it's just but like his old album. very, very funny. Headlines next, including Marcellus Wiley, and he said something that the Wokes don't like.